Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And on today's show, Rublev rules in Vienna. Djokovic falls to Sonigo in one of the shocks of the season. And John Millman secures his maiden ATP Tour title in Astana. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, we are getting closer and closer to the end of the season and the ATP Tour finals in London. Uh, well, hopefully, anyway. Um, but we've had some tournaments this week in Vienna, in, in Astana, in Kazakhstan. And I love that, you know, we, we've got Paris going on at the moment. And how does Rafael Nadal, how does he warm up for the Paris Bercy Masters event? He plays some golf. Yes, it's uh, very exciting to see Rafa on the golf course. And Joel, he came a respectable fifth or sixth, I think. And there were actually some pro golfers in that. So just goes to show, you know, after he maybe, you know, finishes his tennis career, I, I think he's going to be out on that golf course and perhaps oh, he'll rack up some, some. Uh, I mean, there's not really so much of an age limit for golf, is there? So I think he could have a second career with that, perhaps. But uh, we- we'll see. We- we'll discuss that uh, in due course. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to tennis. <laughs> um yeah, we had Vienna this week. We had Astana, so just the two events. Nothing going on on the on the uh, WTA this week. And uh, in fact, I'm not in sure, I'm not even sure that that Lintz will be happening uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But we'll uh, we'll await confirmation of that. Um, but yeah, let's let's start with Vienna, shall we, Joel? Because we saw a very familiar champion, didn't we? Yeah, Andrei Rublev. I think fifth final this season, fifth title of the season. He's gone three ATP 500. Uh, events back to back to back uh, in terms of winning them and yeah he really is having an absolutely phenomenal season I feel like he's probably the most he's probably the most popular player we talk about on the podcast given the number of given the number of titles he's won and I mean what's so remarkable about it is even in, in 2020 alone he's only played 12 tournaments so really he you know once he means business once he's he's you know he's he's going to these places and it's just really remarkable how you know how you know, far up the rankings he's he's gone and I think you know, as a result of his efforts in Vienna he's now confirmed himself um, at the tour finals and he's definitely one of the the hottest players on the tour at the moment yeah definitely now I'm, I'm really pleased for him you know he's um this is undoubtedly his breakout year and it's it just seems to be going from you know from from good to strong and he just seems to be getting better and better really and just being really dominant at these sort of 500 level events and yeah winning three in a row and plus two two other events earlier in the season I mean you know he he has the most titles this season you know apart from Djokovic who's obviously 
apart from a defeat this week uh, and the French Open final, you know, pretty much unbeaten this whole year, you'd have to say that Rublev has been the other standout player of the year. Um, I mean, it was just a very comfortable final again, 6-4, 6-4 in Vienna against Lorenzo Sonigo, who, to be fair, I don't think many people would have predicted him to be in the final, considering he was a lucky loser. Um, but, you know, Rublev has proven that he's he, he's getting the job done against, you know, surprise opponents as well as, you know, big, big shot names. You know, he beat Dominic Team. Um, in his home country um, and, you know, has had a variety of different opponents to come through the draw, both here and, you know, the other events he's been winning. So, yeah, really impressive stuff from him. Just showing his maturity kind of keeps on, keeps on getting there. He keeps on kind of proving that he perhaps, you know, is is a real force to be reckoned with. I was kind of watching his, his you know, his tennis and, you know, trying to think about what kind of players he, he you know he plays like and it's he's got a very offensive game you know from the baseline I think it's very much you know based on you know a power game and you know hitting very solid from his forehand very solid from his backhand and you know I was kind of reading about he's almost kind of like a, an offensive David Ferrer and I think I you know in my head it's like he's got great movement around the court but once he gets to the ball as well he's just able to find you know winners from from anywhere and really it's kind of puts his opponents on the back foot and you know not many people are are, have, are being able to put an answer to it at the moment and you feel like the only person that potentially could beat him is, is himself but he's he's really kept the you know the unforced error count down you know he's not been as fiery as you know perhaps he was kind of a few seasons ago when he was still kind of bedding in to the tour as you said he's kind of grown um, you know, with I think with time on the tour and that sort of maturity uh, now is just kind of you know paying dividends because he's just you know whoever he's being faced with across the you know across the net he's just able to you know to win and uh, you know this was a tournament where that you know it was pretty stacked going into it we had we had Novak Djokovic we had Dominic Team Daniel Medvedev was playing. You know, there are a lot of upsets and, you know, for him to just go about his business and go through the tour with, you know, all that happening around him, it's, it's very impressive. And, um, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating because, you know, we talked about, you know, Medvedev last year probably had a similar, you know, sort of run of form, um, in terms of kind of, you know, picking up, you know, a win streak, lots of titles here and there. Rublev is doing the same thing and, you know, the questions for next season are really going to be, well, I think two, really. I think, can he kind of maintain this form? And, you know, can he replicate it at Grand Slam level? I mean, I mean, just on that, do you do you see him as a kind of a Grand Slam contender? Do you think he can, he can kind of trouble the best on, you know, on, when he's on, on, on form? Yeah, that's the next question, isn't it? Because he's he's reached a couple of quarterfinals, but he needs to really have that big win at a slam. And that's obviously like the next thing he'll be aiming for. And I think actually the World Tour finals is probably a good place for him to see how he's going to fare against, you know, Nadal, Djokovic um, and those kind of players. Like, I know it's not best of five sets, but at least it gives you an indication with Rublev being in this kind of form how he's going to be against a be- against big names. I know that, you know, Grand Slam is, is a whole different kettle of fish, but he's certainly going in the right direction. And, you know, he's always having a bit of a little Medvedev kind of run like last year, isn't he? Um, in terms of being so consistent and getting to finals and, and converting, you know, wins. I have to say, Kim, when I was watching a bit of, because uh, he played Yannick Sinner and they were both in the same outfit 
and they looked so <laughs> they looked so similar i was just like i was just trying to figure out hang on who which one is which one is rublev which one is sinner um but um yeah they they've both got also got i think got kind of similar style games going on but um yeah they they're both they i mean they're both doing you know really well on the tour but yeah rublev really at, at this moment is is coming to the fore and and it's funny that you know at the start of the year i can't, you know fans might remember roger federer himself said he was expecting big things from Rublev, um, you know, in 2020. And the Roger Federer prophecy has come true. Um, you know, <laughs> the Oracle. He, yeah, the Oracle. Well, I mean, I mean, he beat, he beat Federer in, I think, in Cincinnati last year. And, uh, you know, Federer said, you know, he was really impressed with what he saw on that day. Um, I think, you know, Rublev, I think, won like three and four or something, you know, something very routinely. And, um, yeah, he's just been able to kind of, you know, I think he's just been able to kind of bide his time and, you know, he's, he's not kind of, I think he didn't kind of immediately kind of announce himself, you know, onto the tour, maybe like some other sort of up and coming players have done. So I think this has more been kind of a, almost kind of a slow burn in, in the sense that each kind of, each kind of season that he's had on the tour, he's kind of built and built up and really it's all kind of culminated in, yeah, in this moment where, you know, he's now, you know, five titles, five titles from his 2020 season. And, you know, it will be now kind of, can he win a Masters title? Could he win the World Tour Finals? Because he's certainly going to be a dark horse. And for the, you know, next season, how far can he go go in, in Grand Slams? Five titles and counting for the year, perhaps. Yeah. yeah and true. actually, it's funny yeah. that you, funny that you mentioned Roger Federer because, you know, he, at the start of his career, he was very like fiery and, you know, angry on court and he really had to work to kind of battle those demons and, and calm himself down. And I think, you know, Rublev is also someone who's managed to do that and, and look where it's got him now. So yeah, we'll see how he gets on in the last kind of few events. And just a note on, on the other big names really in Vienna, like, you know, Djokovic, team, Medvedev, they all lost within, I think, a couple of hours on the court. So yeah, that was um, a mad day, wasn't it? Yeah, Absolutely it was. <laughs> Full of shocks. Obviously, team lost to Rublev. I think team was struggling with, with a blister. He's actually withdrawn from Paris. So I think he's sort of focusing on, on the World Tour Finals and, and healing um, healing himself. Uh, Kevin Anderson beat Daniel Medvedev. So, um, you know, Medvedev really hasn't had a very good uh, good run of form of late. I think I think this event was the first time actually he'd managed to win back-to-back matches in a long time. So perhaps not the biggest surprise, but I suppose the biggest shock of all, Joel, was um, Novak Djokovic losing to Lorenzo Sonigo, who is a number 42 in the world and was a lucky loser at, at this event. And obviously Sonigo was playing very good tennis. You know, he got all the way to the final, beat beat Britain's Dan Evans in the semi-final. But um, I don't think anyone would have expected him to have beaten Djokovic and especially not at the scoreline, you know, 6-2-6-1. I mean, what was all that about? <laughs> I mean, a lot of conspiracy theories were developing as soon as that, that result came in because it was, yeah, really, really totally unexpected. Um, I think I was reading as well, uh, Sonigo was going into the tournament. He hadn't actually won... Uh, he was going into that into Vienna, having not won a match on a hard court in in a year or so. Like really, this kind really kind of out of nowhere, and um, it, it's very it's very odd because you know I do think I do think this was a case of Sonigo literally just had the match of his life, and Djokovic's level perhaps was not um, you know at the level it needed it needed to be to kind of um, you know to uh, you know to take someone out who is playing the, ma- the match of his life, but. Um, it's it's I find it fascinating because Djokovic Djokovic is now 
39 and 3 on the season. His his losses though on the tennis court, um, you know, to Senego and Nadal, he's not won a set. If if they feel like pretty routine losses when he when he whenever he has lost, it's not very it's not really being in a you know a close nail biter. They've both been very they've both been very comfortable. And um yeah, it just it just was very, very different, very different contexts as well. You know, Grand Slam final against the King of Clay, uh, you know, very historic occasion where history is completely on the line. And then, I don't know, indoor hardcore tournament, ATP 500 and Vienna in the quarterfinals. It's sort of two different worlds almost. But I mean, I think the big thing here with Novak is, I guess, his motivation, because, you know, he sort of said afterwards that he basically was coming to Vienna he needed to get two wins on the board to secure the year end, you know, world number one. And then essentially he did that. And when it got to the quarterfinals, he didn't need to win anymore to get that number one year end. But like, you know, I just would have thought as a, as a competitor, Novak would have wanted to have kind of pretty much won any tournament he's entered and he would want to carry on. Um, but maybe he was just kind of thinking, actually, I'd rather focus on, you know, Paris and uh, the World Tour Finals and I don't really care about this event too much. I just was here for the stats and the, you know, to tick, tick a box, basically. Um, and I, it's just, it's still very weird and I, I it doesn't look so good if, you know, he basically did tank it. I'm not saying he did, but if that is true, I mean, I just think 6261 is such a one-sided scoreline. It's a Bernard Tomic yes. scoreline. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, the tournament director wasn't very pleased because he sort of, you know, said afterwards, like, that's just, you know, you shouldn't say that, um, you know, even if you, you don't, you know, you did just turn up and play a few matches and then kind of deliberately lose, like, maybe just don't vocalise that, but I mean, to be fair, we, I have seen something akin to that with, I think, back in the day when Rafa used to go off to Queens after having won the French Open. After a few years, you know, he sort of, you felt like he was just turning up to fulfil some obligations. He would play one or two matches and then he would, you know, go back home to Mallorca for a few days before Wimbledon. So I suppose I can kind of see the that side of it, but... um Still, <laughs> I mean, going into that day, you, you genuinely felt like, you know, it, it felt nailed on that it was going to be a team Djokovic final and there wasn't too many sort of obstacles in the way of that happening. But it just shows you tennis is so, I guess it's so unpredictable. And, you know, you talk about, I think it's interesting you talk about kind of, you know, the World Tour finals and kind of are, you know, are these players aware of that? And, and, and you know, therefore wanting to you know prepare for it in different ways. We've seen, you know, Nadal, is choosing Paris Bercy almost kind of as a warm up event to it. Has Djokovic, you know, bought you know time by you know, you know, taking this defeat so that he can you know have you know, an extra couple of days? But actually, Joel, I should just say Djokovic isn't playing Paris, is he? Because mm. he, did, he doesn't need to yeah. because of the ranking. So yeah, yeah, my bad. I said he was playing, but he's not. So correction there. <laughs> but you've also got someone like Rublev who is in really hot form at the moment and. I think he's in almost he's in a sort of uh, you know fifty fifty situation. I think where you know he is he is so hot right now. It's like, well, do I just carry on and just play as much tennis as possible through to the tour finals, or do I do I take Paris off? You know, give myself a little bit of time to rest, given you know all I've done you know already so far, um, and be you know really kind of mentally and physically fresh for you know the the tour finals to have a crack at it. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I think they're all they're all kind of approaching. I think that you know the end the end event in London, um, you know, from different ways, and 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 that might have been playing on on, on Djokovic's mind. Yeah, and we don't know. Maybe he's got a physical issue as well, and he just you know at the end of the day, the World Tour Finals is a lot more prestigious than than Vienna, so you know that's that's potentially his his motivation and and it was great for Lorenzo Sonigo you know he uh he got through to his first ever final you know didn't come away with the title but um he's only the 17th lucky loser Joel to reach an ATP final since uh since 1990 um so I think the only one who's managed to actually have won a 500 event was Leonardo Mayer back in Hamburg in 2017. So, um, yeah, a great week for Sonigo. And to be fair, he is 42 in the world. So when you say lucky loser, often you think of someone being really lowly ranked. But he's, um, you know, he is up there. Um, and another thing I, I thought was quite nice, Joel, this week was um, the guy who beat Denis Shapovalov in the first round, um, Oh no, sorry. Well, we had well, we had two nice stories. We had local Austrian guy Yuri Rodionov who took out Shapovalov in in the first round. Um, so that was great for the you know the locals. Um, but the guy who was playing Dominic Team in the first round, uh, Vitaly Sachko, um, he should have been and would ordinarily have been playing at you know fifteen k events elsewhere. But he um, withdrew from all of the the events that he could have been playing to sign up as a qualifying alternate uh, for Vienna, um, which I suppose is a bit of a risk because he might, you know, he might not have qualified. But um, yeah, he, he did qualify. He did sign up and uh, he made it through to uh, to face Dominic Team. So I guess that sort of gamble paid off for him. And uh, I know. Yeah, it's nice. Nice, bit, nice, nice little... <laughs> Fortune favors the brave, isn't it? Well, um, yes, as the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was uh, a yeah, very interesting. I think it was a very interesting week, very interesting tournament because yeah, we ended up with two finalists. We probably, I mean, certainly one we were not expecting. I think we were, as I said, I think we were all kind of thinking of a oh, this is going to be a Djokovic team final. But no, it was it was full of you know upsets and and great stories. Dan Evans also had a very good week um, as well. Uh, beat Dimitrov probably was his best his best win of the week it was just annoying I think that he he couldn't go on because you know you got to those those semi-finalists I mean it was Evans Kevin Anderson Sonigo and Rublev um, you know I think all of those competitors would have thought you know I'm in, in with a chance here including Dan um, so for him to kind of fall to, to Sonigo um, you know, in straight sets in, in the semifinals, I think he'll be looking at to be like, ah, oh, if only, uh, if only I could, uh, you know, have done, maybe potentially done a bit more. I could have maybe, who knows, ended up as the, the Vienna champion. Um, but yeah, I think it was, yeah, on the whole, it was, uh, you know, it was a very good tournament. And it was also, I think, great to see Kevin Anderson back. I know that he, sort of I think kind of left with an injury um, you know, at the end of at the end of the event. But um, you know, it was great to see him kind of back and into a, a semi final where, you know, he belongs. And I still think on his day he's a very tough competitor to to put away as as Daniel Medvedev found out. So um yeah, I think a lot of um a lot of talking points from from Vienna. We also had Kim a st- the Astana open in Kazakhstan, which um 
which was a 250 event, so didn't attract as uh, as uh, higher ranked players. I think Benoit Pair was the top seed. I know you wanted him to to go on and win after all of his <laughs> kind of coronavirus related troubles. Well, actually, that did not happen. I think he actually Aww. went out. I think he went out in his first match. I think oh, um, he certainly went out. Uh, he certainly went out earlier on. And um, yeah, we were left with uh, John Millman uh, capturing his first ATP Tour level. Uh, career title beating Adrian Manorino 7561 um really impressive from Milman because uh he saved match points en route uh to becoming uh, champion um he saved them against uh, I think Tommy Paul um in his uh, quarterfinals so yeah I mean John Milman uh great great result for him I was I was watching a bit of it I was watching a bit of the highlights of this actually because the um it was on kind of YouTube the, the court was really slow and you know I felt like John Milman, he was having to put a lot of effort in, a lot of work in to uh, to create kind of opportunities and to create winners. And it, I think it really suited someone like like a Manorino's type player where, you know, they can just get to, get to the ball, put it back in play. Not the most kind of visually attractive type of tennis, but I felt like it was a very effective kind of setup for Manorino. But yeah, Milman, Milman just was able to kind of be the aggressor and and, and win the title. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, you know, quite quite pleased because John Millman's one of those like really nice guys that's been around on the tour for a while and, you know, has, has never won a title before. So it's great that he's kind of finally got over the finish line and and um yeah, I think he's actually the, the seventh oldest player since nineteen ninety to win um his first title. So we've got players like Gilles Muller, Paolo Lorenzi, uh, Nicola Mahou, who are among those other names who are, took quite a while, I guess, to, uh, to to win their first singles title anyway. Um, and Manorino, he he's probably someone you, you want to face in a final because he's, he's one and nine in finals now. So uh, is he, he doesn't... Is he, cha- is, is he channeling his inner... Julian Ogier Bento. Alias. Maybe both of them. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Julian Bellato never won a singles title, did he? Um, but no, I mean that's that's great for John Millman, um, you know, in a new event. So um yeah, it's uh good news and obviously did save those match points against Tommy Paul, who I think had a bit of a mare, shall we say, in that deciding set tie break. Um Tommy Paul was like five love up and just capitulated <laughs> so uh lost seven seven points in a row at the end so uh wasn't so good um for tommy paul but yeah great for millman kim can i just say i you know i just thought this was going to be a prime opportunity in the um in the um the ceremony afterwards i thought we were going to see borat i thought we were going to see borat there's a new Borat <laughs> film coming out uh we're in kazakhstan i felt like it was an obvious pr opportunity but Alas, it didn't happen. They should have got Sasha Baron Cohen out there to present the trophy. (laughs) Oh, yes, they should have. That would have been great. That would have been great. Could you imagine just like, uh, yeah, Borat just being like, Yekshimas, my name is Borat, and then handing over the trophy, handing over the trophy to John Millman. That'd be fantastic. What a fantastic um, rendition of Borat that was there from you, Joel. Thank you. if, If I was a top player, if I was a top player, and and you know that was the potentially the ceremony i think i would have been 
Maybe I would have been more attracted to play this Sarah Open over Vienna. Does it beat the, the uh, uh, St. Petersburg trophy ceremony? Oh, well, Because, exactly. I mean, that will take some beating, hey? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, anyway, let's go for a short break and then we'll be back in a mo to, uh, to do my favourite bit of the podcast, Joel, Mysterious Player. This is The Passing Shot and you're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to Mysterious Player. And Joel, it's my turn to challenge you this week. So are you ready for what I've got up my sleeve for you today? Uh, I'm not ready, but I am ready. So okay, let's let's go for it. Come on. There's there's no Kazakhs involved. That oh, much. I, can, okay. I can assure you it's not Mikhail Kukushkin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. First clue. And listeners, do play along and let us know how you do. Um, right. Okay. Clue number one. My best Grand Slam appearance has been a quarterfinal at Roland Garros. In the singles, I should say. Um, quarterfinals um pablo carreño buster oh pcb um no it's not pcb okay okay next please i have a career high ranking of number 43 in the world in singles okay Mm, 43s not that high um quite a niche quite a niche player it feels like then if if, they're quite quite a low ranking um but quarter finalist so he probably did quite well um oh, i want to say albert ramos vinolas but i know he's, <laughs> i know he went higher than 43 in oh, the world that's not a bad shout though like <sighs> I, I get where yeah. you're coming from <laughs> okay, okay. righty ho um I my official residence is now Monte Carlo, Monaco. Ooh. As you know, a lot of players, I suppose, have that. But um, this is a fact. And yeah. gosh, yeah. very nice. Uh, place Monte Carlo. Um, uh, I'll give you a clue. As, oh, sorry. I'll expand on this. It's not okay. a million. It's not a million miles away from my my home country. Ah. Uh, Kim, I didn't do geography as my degree. <laughs> I, that, that does not help me one. It might jot. help our listeners though. So <laughs> tough. Um, no, I've got, I've got no idea. Next, next clue. Okay. When I was younger, I also excelled at another sport and actually competed in that uh, in my sort of formative years. Uh, I'm going to go. Is it Misha Zverev? Oh, not 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 bad. I mean, I don't know what he did when he was younger, but no, it's not. But um, okay. not not a bad shout, I suppose. Oh, is it is it Berrettini? Oh no, no, he's gone way higher than forty three. No, uh, no. <laughs> and he got to a semi final actually as well <laughs> at Aslam. But um, you're you're getting warmer, I suppose. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, right. Next clue. Yep. I received a wild card into the biggest tournament I have ever won. Um, um, uh, I feel, uh, okay. Is it, um, uh, is it, um, Steve Darcy's? <laughs> is it Steve Darcy's? Um, no, it's not. Oh. <laughs> That's random. Um, 
next clue? Yeah. Okay. So following on from that tournament in question, uh, Mm -hmm. this was a tournament held in my home country, although this tournament is not technically a proper ATP event. Well, it is, but it's not. If that makes sense. No, it doesn't. doesn't. Um, Hmm. Let me think about that. I was. It is an ATP event, but it's not like a traditional. Not a traditional event. (laughs) Um, Have I gone too cryptic? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm lost. No, I don't know. Have you, have you have, have, next clue? Is there any more clues? <laughs> yeah, there are more clues. Okay, thank God. <laughs> um, I am the first male player born in 2001 to reach a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Oh. Oh, I was going to say Bernard Tomic, but it's not. I think he's a little bit older than that. <laughs> yeah, 2001. Um, so, L- Lorenzo Massetti? No, he's a bit oh, younger, isn't he? He's like 16 still. 2001. It's been like 19. Casper Ruud? Nope. Oh, um, You're getting closer. <laughs> um, uh, no, okay. Next clue. Really? Okay. Oh, this is painful. This is painful. I'm sure Why this is really painful Joel? for our listeners as well. <laughs> I thought, Joe, when I was doing this, I was like, mm, there's not too much to go on. And I don't want to make it so obvious. So I'll be like, oh deliberately God. niche. Um, okay. <laughs> right. Um, I recently turned 19 and I'm tipped for greatness. Yannick Sinner. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. There we How go. How many clues was that? That was, that was, it was too many. It was, many. was like eight. Yeah, many, <laughs> many clues. I'm sure our listeners did a lot better than me on that one. Um, yes, Yannick Sinner or Andre mm. Andre Rublev's uh, lookalike or doppelganger. I think. I suppose um, so. Yeah, I think their faces are slightly different, but um, actually, they they would. I was looking forward to their match in Vienna, but Sinner retired after three games. Just, so, just very quickly on on players that wear the same outfit on court, like as a fan, should that should that be allowed? Should that happen? Yes, like I feel like it shouldn't happen because otherwise it just gets too confusing when you're watching it on TV. They should have an away kit or something. Yeah, I think yeah. I think so. What do you th- What do you think? Um, I don't. Yeah, I suppose it, it it depends if one of them's like also wearing a hat or they're both wearing a hat or you know. Mm. I, I do agree. It's not the best visually. Um, so I think it wouldn't take a lot, would it, for them just to be like, Are "You okay to wear like your pink shirt today?" And I'll, I'll wear the blue <laughs> yeah. or something. I mean, exactly, exactly. But, but there we go. Um, yeah. But yeah, let us know how you got on with that one, listeners. I uh, I enjoyed devising it and I uh, <laughs> enjoyed listening to you suffer, Joel. <laughs> oh, God. Well, let's move on to Passing Shot Mailbag. Uh, we've got another question this week from Dan, who again got in touch with us via email. He said, hello, guys. In the news this week was the headline that due to... Due to running into financial difficulties, Boris Becker is offering tennis lessons at thirty nine ninety nine a pop. Which player, past or present, would you like to receive a tennis lesson from, and how much would you pay them? Oh, great! Wow, that is a great question, Dan. Um, thanks for thanks for sending that in. Um, I've you know, I thought I thought about this this week, Kim. I, I've 
yeah, I've, I have. I've thought about it long and hard. What, what, what are you? Who are you going for? And how much? How much are you going to pay them? Are you? You going to keep? Well, it, I'm just, you, I love keep, how this Boris Becker's made it sound a bit cheaper by going for thirty nine ninety nine. <laughs> like, just say forty. I mean, what if someone's paying cash? <laughs> um, yeah, and is that for an hour? I, I don't know what the going rate is. To be honest with you, um, I mean, I have to say, I think. Obviously, I'm a Rafa fan. I'd have to say that I'd want a lesson from Rafa. Um, but I might be a bit nervous, a bit too nervous to sort of be able to oh, do anything. Yeah. So maybe I'd go for someone a bit less sort of, I don't know. Um, Dennis Istomid. Oh, well, that, that could work. <laughs> that could work. Uh, my dad actually had a bit of a lesson off Greg Rosetsky uh, oh, yeah. last okay. year. Mm. He uh, had to return one of Greg's serves, it was at this this competition my dad won. Um, so we went to the NTC and I got to watch my dad fail to return Greg Rosetsky's serve. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'd have to say Rafa, I suppose, or maybe someone in the span, maybe Carlos Moyer, seeing as he is Rafa's Ooh, coach. I think maybe yeah. he'd he'd be able to guide me a bit better, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What nice. about you? Um, I, I was thinking someone like Andy Roddick. Um, oh, yeah. yeah i don't know i think that i just think that'd be i think he's quite a nice guy he's quite funny um get some pointers on my serve feel like my serve is terrible and he would be in a very good position to probably critique my serve and be able to maybe hopefully add some add some speed to it so some yeah I'd say, yeah so i'd say andy rod i wouldn't i wouldn't probably ask for like volleys or like volleys or any net play sort of advice, I'd probably be more. It'd probably be more like forehand and serve, I reckon, and just top spin. <laughs> you don't want to develop an all court game, then, Joel. Well, one no. one dimensional. No, and 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 as a result, of that because I'm only going to focus on those elements of tennis. I think I could drive the price down for the lesson. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, fair enough. Maybe, maybe like twenty twenty quid, twenty quid. I was just to expand on this. I'd like to have a Pilates session with Novak because I know he's quite oh, okay. big on the old Pilates and yoga, which I love. And um, I think I, I'm I really envy his strength and flexibility. So I think I'd mm. want maybe something on the side, which is like work out with Novak. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I could see him doing. I could see him doing something like that. To be fair, like a mm. Zoom. Zoom thing for his fans or something. Um, <laughs> definitely could see that Pilates. Yeah. Um, listeners, uh, let us know if you have a question, uh, you would like to be asked on the passing shot mailbag to Joel and Kim. Uh, get in touch with the show. We'd love to hear your suggestions, uh, your questions, uh, whatever your, whatever's on your mind. Let us know and we'll, uh, look to read them out and give you our response. Yes. And Joel, we've got a bit of, uh, other talking points i suppose to touch upon mm. um been in the news quite a bit this week um essentially uh, concerning sasha zverev most of all uh it, it's a bit of a double whammy for him because first of all uh on wednesday i think we had his ex-girlfriend brenda patea patea i'm not sure exactly how you say it many apologies um she came out with the announcement that she's pregnant and um you know zverev is the father so he is now going to be a dad um and he sort of came out with a with a statement on on social media saying you know he's uh going to be a father he's very much looking forward mm. to being involved um even though he he's no longer with uh with Brenda but uh he's you know going to to do his part 
I, I believe. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, though, because I thought she had come out and said that she didn't want him involved. But yeah. I'm very well, much aware that there are things, you know, tabloid media tells one story and we don't really know the, the real thing, do we? Yeah, because I, I think, yeah, because in her in her side of the story, she, I think she was quoted to say there was a crisis before because we have different views on life. And I think just generally, it's probably very hard, you know, if you're on the on a on a tour like the the ATB tour where you're going around the world twenty four seven, I guess it's you know that is definitely a different um, you know a dynamic that is probably very hard to juggle with kind of you know f- family life. Um, you know we saw you know Sam Query. We don't we still don't know where he is, but oh you know gosh, Sam Query. Yeah. Sam Query, you know took his you know took his family uh, along with him whenever you know where, where he played tennis but um yeah it was um it was definitely uh, i think it was interesting that announcement kind of coming out because as you said it was a bit of a, a double whammy because i think you know this sort of thing you know he's a young guy these things you know these things can happen taylor fritz similar situation um you know i it's it's you know it's it's just one of these things but i think the next point was the one i think that is been causing a bit more sort of you know i think concern particularly kind of in tennis circles um you know with just kind of the general media as well as well as kind of fans um and that was kind of the news that um one of his other kind of ex-girlfriends olya sharipova uh claimed uh zverev um was violent towards her uh, whilst they were in a relationship um, back in kind of 2019, um, really kind of um, unsettling, really account given given by her on on social media or on her Instagram, um, and it was all kind of displayed with kind of the you know a hashtag and um, you know I believe Olya and uh, yeah it, it's I mean it's it's very interesting isn't it Kim because you know we see we've seen these sorts of stories I think you know develop you know, before, um, you know, the, they kind of like start on, on social media. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're kind of, I still think we're still kind of taking it in, but it's, it's interesting to see how, how people are, are reacting in terms of kind of the tennis players, but also the fans as well, because I noticed, you know, Zverev is you know, playing Par- the Paris and Masters this week. And, you know, a, a post involving just kind of announcing Zverev was playing, um, was kind of hijacked by uh, people on social media saying, I stand with Olya, that, that hashtag. So you can see it's already kind of, you know, playing out in, uh, in a very in a very public space. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it will be interesting to see how it affects him. Um, obviously, I don't really want to comment on what the ins and outs of their relationship was. You know, we don't know, like no one else was there apart from them two. Um, so I don't know if if Olga is going to pursue this in a court of law. Um, you know, I think the timing's quite interesting. That's come out around the same time as these this other news. Um, you know, it doesn't sound great at all. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm it's it, it you know, I think you just you don't know, do you, um what what's happened. So um but yeah, totally not a not a good um not a good look. And I think, you know, it'd be very hard for it not to affect um Zorov on the court actually. So it will be interesting to see what kind of I was going to say what kind of re- reaction he gets in Paris from the fans, but there won't be any fans in Paris, will there? So, um, you know, in terms of being in a stadium with kind of audible reactions, we we won't know. It'll just be kind of social media and what's doing the rounds. But 
yeah, we'll have to wait and see how how it develops, I suppose. Yeah, because I think there's you know there's obviously lots of different ways you can look at this, and you know it, whether the the the, the, AT, did the ATP come in and do anything, um, or well, it's not their place, is it? Or, to, yeah. If someone's making private allegations, I don't think they've got anything to do with it. I mean, it's a sort of personal personal matter, and it's just you know he's a big name, and it's it's come out, and you know I I don't know if he'll have to it it literally will have to go through kind of legal channels, won't it? Um, but otherwise it's kind of someone saying something, someone else is saying another thing <laughs> who, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it did come out with a kind of a, a response, um, you know, to the accusations saying, you know, in his words, uh, unfounded accusations, uh, which I read in the media today, they make me very sad. We have known each other since we were children and shared many experiences together. I very much regret that she makes such statements because the accusations are simply not true. We had a relationship, but it ended a long time ago. Why Olga is making these accusations now, I just don't know. I really hope that the two of us will find a way to deal with each other again in a reasonable and respectful way. Mm. Well, well, well. So, mm. Let's see how it unfolds. Um, but yeah, not not nice stuff to be reporting on. And, um, you know, I hope that Olga is getting the you know support that she that she needs and, and the advice and everything, um, you know, and I, I hope that there's not any hate. Well, I, there probably will be, unfortunately. It's the, the nature of the beast, isn't it? Social media, people just attack each other, don't they? And uh, it's not nice to see. Um, let's talk about rankings, Joel, uh, to, to, to kind of finish up today, because there's another thing that's kind of come out this week is sort of the unfairness of the, the current ranking systems. Um, you know, the, they've introduced these the ranking freeze because of covid um so they've changed how it works so basically a player's ranking can be you know created because of uh, based on basically 2019 and 2020 um and the way that they've changed it basically is has, has meant that you know ash barty for example finishes the season as world number 1 still yet she hasn't played since the start of the year um, and other players as well, Bianca Andreescu, um, you know, she's still right up there in the top 10, despite not having played, well, all year in her case. Um, and yet you've got other players like Victoria Azarenka, who's been completely on fire. She's down at 13 in the ranking. She should be at number four. And Igor Svontek, French Open champion, she's she should be at five, but she's down at 17. So where do you see the, do you think this is fair? Do you think, it's a bit just kind of tough, get on with it. You know, this is a new crazy situation. It's not exactly the most important thing. Or do you think there should be another way of, of dealing with it? Yeah, I don't, I think this is the one thing that I think, uh, you know, from the ATP and the WTA side, I think the rankings are the one thing that is, is probably the most messed up thing kind of right now, because it, it, it just doesn't sound right. You know, Ash, Ash Barty world number one, given, you know, we saw her like having a beer and you know watching the AFL and you know just kind of relaxing in a you know her home country. Andrescu as well hasn't played a lot of tennis and yet she's still in the top ten. These are kind of very if they feel very they feel very surprising and um, you know I get that the freeze was in place so it didn't uh, so that you know players who didn't want to travel or could not travel um, you know they weren't um, adversely kind of impacted um, when the kind of the tour opened again. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it just feels a, 
a bit like you know for example if you're if you're world number one you know ash barty is she just kind of she's almost kind of racking up these weeks kind of doing nothing and is that kind of almost kind of cheapening uh you know the you know being at world number one because you know she's not really doing anything and you know she's she's, she's just having kind of beer and watching these, football yeah, yeah she's collecting she these weeks just like one <laughs> one week at a time um so it feels it feels a bit um yeah it feels like we're still uh, still feels like there needs to be a bit more to do um in terms of the rankings and how they kind of do that balance because i think at some point you're gonna have to not have that freeze and you know, if you know when that kind of does happen, probably you know in the in the twenty twenty one season, um, you know it, it's. It, I think it's got to be more reflective of of the current times. And at the moment, it it doesn't feel like it is. It'll feel like we're almost kind of going too far back to a point where, you know, it was that's in the past, and maybe it shouldn't be as significant as results right now. Yeah, I think like the whole idea behind the rankings freeze is good in terms of, you know, it protects kind of the lower ranked players. You, we don't want their rankings to massively drop. So they find themselves like unable to then get back into the tournaments they would have been getting into before COVID. And we don't want to, you know, unfairly, you know, sacrifice players who, you know, really can't get out and about. Um, but I feel like, yeah, right at the very top, it's like less imperative because those players are not going to drop that much are they? they're still going to be there or thereabouts they're still going to be able to get into big tournaments when they do come back um and i think yeah like you said in terms of like the history books and like records that's when it does become a bit more of a, an issue you know if we're looking back at ash Barty's career and you know there's this like long period of her consecutive number one you, you think well actually hang on a minute um you know is there going to be an, an asterisk against that and yeah, it's, I don't really know what the, the best alternative would be. So I appreciate that they've tried to do the best they have with this. But it's just, you know, unfortunately, it has meant that some players have sort of been a bit hard done by, um, you know, like Azarenka. And I think on the men's side as well, there's a whole host of players that are sort of artificially high. You know, their their form is terrible and they would be right down in the hundreds, but they're sort of still in the top hundred, you know, like Nishikori. He's, he would actually apparently uh, be at 193 in the world if he just went on this year's points alone. Um, yeah, he's up at like 36. So it's a bit of a false uh, interpretation, I suppose, when you look at it that way. It's 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 that imbalance, isn't it? Between if you've had a if you had like a really good 2019 season and you didn't do much in in 2020, that's where I think it's kind of almost favouring your results in the past, where actually it should be more about you know it should it should be more reflective of the of the presence uh, of, of sorry of the present and perhaps that's what the ATP and WTA need to do is look at how do we be more reflective of you know achievements going on in the present because it doesn't feel like at the moment you know Azarenka particularly Sviontek as well you know these players I feel like they should be higher than than they are at the moment so um yeah i'm sure i'm sure there's gonna be more tweaking um of kind of rankings calculations as as we kind of go on it'll be interesting to see how they you know and if they kind of do any changes for um you know the 2021 season um let's kind of finish on paris paris bursi kim um it's going on at the moment we're recording on monday um so rafael nadal is playing he's the the top player Dominic team has has pulled out and really I mean I know you know Nadal hasn't played since um you know French Open final but it'll be interesting to see I guess how he can 
how he adapts and whether he can kind of come in and, and win the tournament or whether he's going to, you know, take a, a bit of time to kind of, I guess, you know, find, find his feet. Yeah, I think um, I'm intrigued to see how he's going to get on. Um, obviously, it's still it's still a jam-packed field if you think about it. He's got Sitsapas, Medvedev, you know, Rublev, of course, Schwartzman, you know, um, and yeah, I mean, Rafa, Rafa's quarter, he's got Goffin, which is probably the better quarter to be in. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to the first round. He's got he's got Feliciano Lopez who won today, so that'd be quite nice. Um, old school match that one. Um, but yeah, there's no fans there. It's going to be a bit weird, um, but I guess we're kind of used to that now. And I don't know. I have a good feeling actually. I think I think if there's ever a time that Rafa's going to win it, it could be this year. I mean, he's um, never won. He's never won it, has he? So no, I think he got to the final in '07. Was that when Nalbandian did Nalbandian beat him in that final? Was that when he? I'm not sure, but <laughs> I need to to Google that one. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, just looking at the draw, Kim. I'm just looking one name that has caught my attention: French wildcard Benjamin Bonzi. I mean, what, oh, that's a great what name. A name. What a that name! Is a great that name. Is. Oh, um, but also, isn't Hugo Gaston there? Um, of you know Roland Garros. Yes, he's he's playing Pablo Guerrero Buster in the first round. So I'm quite intrigued to see how. Hugo Gaston does because if he plays anything like he did at Roland Garros that would be such a laugh um, but yeah I mean tomorrow morning uh, you know Tuesday morning it'll be first match on Stan, Stan Mavrinka against Dan Evans so that's uh, that's got my my, uh, my eyes you know uh, looking at that one on the draw so uh, yeah we'll see we'll see how Dan gets on I think you know that's that's winnable he's he's almost beaten Stan before you know I think he's it's a player I think he'd love to have another crack at Um so yeah, we'll see how he gets on with that one. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think that comes, that brings us to an end for this episode of The Passing Shot. Hope you've enjoyed listening to us as always. Remember to uh, subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts and you are enjoying the show, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you'd like to get in touch with us via email, you can do so. We are at PassingShotPod at gmail.com. So do let us know your thoughts, any feedback, any queries. We love to hear from you. Yes. And uh, we'll be back next week to catch up on all of the all of the action from Paris. Probably look forward as well, I think, to the Sofia Open as well as the, the World Tour finals as well. So um, I hope you can join us for that. But uh, yeah, back to back to Paris, Bercy, Kim, um, Nadal. Nadal, can he do it? Let's let's wait and see. He will to channel that that form he had in the golf back into the tennis, won't he? <laughs> Indeed, Joel. Indeed, he will. (laughs) Okay, right. Uh, Thanks, listeners, and uh, we'll see you again shortly. So where is Sam Query? I genuinely, it's just like he's disappeared off the face of the earth. The saga continues, Joel. Um, Maybe he's just going to pop up. Like, maybe, I don't know. It's really... I think he's going to swim home or something. Maybe they'll hire a boat across the Atlantic. Who knows? Answers on a postcard. <laughs>